We're going to continue our, our series on um, the seven deadly sins. Today we're talking about gluttony, all right? Um, so hopefully you guys eat up today's message. Uh, I hope it satisfies. A uh, little joke because, well, that's just me. Uh, I think I'm uh, certainly well-equipped to speak on this. I have a lot of experience in some senses uh, eating food. I really enjoy it. I don't know if I've got anyone uh, else. Well, I know there's a certain amount of Italians here, and I know they love food. And, and let's face it, uh, the, the island cultures have amazing cuisine, and so, like, we are well-blessed here on a potluck Sunday. You know what I mean? Uh, eh. But this idea of gluttony and these, I want to say something about these seven deadly sins. Something I find interesting about them is that there's within them uh, uh, an indication of the transcendent. Within the seven deadly sins, there's an indication of the transcendent. And what I mean by that is, is that these are basic things that God has created in some senses that we take and, and we misappropriate. And so each of these seven deadly sins that we've gone over so far, and I believe the last one is something to say calm about coming up is anger. Each of one of these things in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, but as we look at each one of these things, it actually reveals something about God when it's, when it's operating in the way in which God intended it to operate. And today we see this in, in, in gluttony. And, 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 and gluttony, I think it's easy to kind of think about it as just like eating too much. But I would suggest to you that there's probably five ways of understanding what gluttony is and what it looks like. That first and foremost, yes, gluttony is eating too much. But I would say it's also eating too little. I would say that it's eating too fast. It's, it's, it's eating with immediacy. And it's eating with perfection. And what do I mean by these things? Well, we just passed Thanksgiving. I, last night, I was actually at a meal with uh, some friends, and after a big meal, you know what you want to do? Go have a nap, right? Okay? And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But, but there's, there's an interesting connection there, I think, and, and we'll, we'll look at that a little bit later. But when we eat too much, we become lethargic. What about too little? Eating becomes this thing of control in our lives. That, that the way in which that we eat, the way in which that we consume things can actually become so closely uh, uh, connected to our identity of ourselves that it can begin to destroy us. And, and, and we, can't, we can't function. Eating too fast, you know, uh, if, you, if you eat too fast, you, you become, uh, well, it's, it's unhealthy. You, 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 it, it starts to impact your digestive system. There's physiological like, reasons to eat slowly and, and to not trick your brain into thinking that you're still hungry. These, these next two are kind of interesting. To, like, you might wonder, okay, like, so this guy, he says that he's uh, experienced with the thing of gluttony. I would say that my, my, my struggle with gluttony is not necessarily about eating too much or eating too fast. Although, me and my brothers, we, there was a rule in our house that guests ate first. And the reason was because there was two kinds of people, the quick and the hungry. If you weren't one, you were the other, okay? <laughs> it's not eating too fast, but it's this thing of eating with immediacy. When I'm hungry, I want to eat right now. And thankfully, in this world, we live with a place where there is drive-through windows that have 24-7 access. And what's more than that, I don't even got to drive there. Uber Eats brings it to me. <laughs> Any time of the day, I can, I can see chase myself immediately. 
And lastly, this one's for you foodies, eating to perfection. That, 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 that perfect, beautiful arrangement, the, um, uh, the, 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 the Dead Sea salt that you can only get from the special provider that you, you put on your, on your crackers with the, the foie gras and all this other stuff. As you can tell, I'm not a foodie. <laughs> but the reality is that gluttony is when food becomes the controlling factor in our life. And, and when we look at the seven deadly sins, really what it is, is it's idolatry. It's idolatry that's expressed through the desires of our body, which, which God gives us our bodies. He gives us the desires. But when we lift those things above God and, and, and his capacity to satisfy us, they become idolatrous. They begin to destroy us. Well, food is an interesting, an interesting thing. One, it's, 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 it's something that transcends culture. It's, it's an amazing uh, thing to behold the impact of a meal on a group of people who are strangers. And how through a meal, they're no longer strangers. You look at the way food has kind of functioned in, a, in an interesting way in Scripture. I can go to the next slide, please. The, the faux pas that have kind of occurred. And these were just some of the ones that came to me off the top of my head. So there's the eye-opening apples that we have in Genesis. The temptation of food or the desire to, to know brought, well, the fall. The, 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 <laughs> the awesome, I don't know what you, I love the account of the Exodus and the Israelites and just like that, that whole, it seems like a weird road trip. You know, like a biblical road trip, and, and the whole time they're going, are we there yet? And they don't like the snacks that you brought along for the ride. And I'm thinking mostly of my kids, but in this, the, the, the Israelites, the Jews, got so sick and tired of the food that fell from the sky that was provided to them on a daily basis. They got so sick of it, and they, they complained to God that God sent them so much quail that they got sick of the quail. And they said, okay, bring back the manna. We're tired of the birds. But in the New Testament, you also have the Corinthian suppers, and, and, and Paul, he, he, he chastises the, the, the believers at Corinth for the way in which that they, that, they, that they come and they meet around the Lord's Supper, that they do so inappropriately. And lastly, and I think uh, part of the, the, the next point of this message that I want to, to draw our attention to is, is this interesting little scene between Jacob and Esau. So Jacob was, um, he wasn't your typical man's man. And I say that kind of like, that's kind of a cringy thing to say. I appreciate that. Um, but we have this idea of, you know, this like, this mighty hunter, okay? You know, this, this person who, the, like a man who goes and like he, he kills his breakfast and then he cooks it. You know, this, that, that's Esau, not Jacob. Jacob was a guy who kind of stayed home. He took notes about like the fauna and, and he read books about hunting, but he never actually did it. Well, one day Esau has been out and he's, he's been hunting, but he was unsuccessful. He's, he's tired. He's famished. And he comes before his brother, who his brother's been like cooking the stew, marinating it nicely. It's just been simmering all morning, just wafting beautiful smells. And, and Esau comes and he smells this and he tells his brother, give me some. I'm starving. If I don't have some food right now, I'm going to die. And Jacob says, I'll give you some. But give me your birthright first. Give me the status you have to be able to claim that you're our father's son, that the family line would go through you. Give it to me. I want to be first. And I'll exchange it to you for this bowl of stew. 
That doesn't seem like a good trade. But to Esau, he was, he was all for it. He had just give it to me. What, what good is my birthright, he says, if I die? So disdaining his birthright, he, he exchanges it for this food. And, and Jacob is, well, Jacob is the one that the story and narrative of God continues through. And it, and it says in, in Malachi and, and again in Romans, you know, God claims, Jacob I loved and, and Esau I hated. And this, this, um, um, this, this supper that was made, it indicates something. I don't think it's so much that, that um, um, you know, the fact that Esau was hungry. You know, his brother, really, if he was a good brother, would have just fed him. It's not so much about how, how the, the, there's something in the meal itself, but, but the way in which that we interact with food, the way in which that it can impact us, the way in which that we can surrender our whole life to it. Just think about, I don't know about you, when, I, when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling blue, when I'm feeling a little depressed, ice cream goes a long way. You know, what's your comfort food? What do you go to? What's, what's the top of your cupboard stocked with? You know, the place where your kids can't reach? Is it chips? Is it chocolate? I accept that confession, brother, and I absolve you in Christ's name. Honestly, we, we think, you know, we look at Esau and be like, man, what a sucker. But no, because we often do these kinds of things as well. Food has this kind of impact on us as well. It's very easy, I think, for us to become complacent with the, the impact that um, our natural desires can, can have on us. But these are inappropriate examples. These are, these are food being used in a, in, in a not in a good way. The, the Bible is filled with this idea that food is from God. In the beginning, there was two trees. Sure, there was ones that, that, that would bring the fall, but there was this other tree, the tree of life. And, and the whole Garden of Eden was filled with good things to eat. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 34, it, it tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. But there's this experience of God that, 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 that is reflected in this idea of nourishment. And there's, there's something about a, a home-cooked meal that, that's well-prepared, well-seasoned, and when you bite into it, it, just, it brings memories and thoughts and feelings to your mind and to your heart. And, and, and that's, that's an expression of what it's like to be in a relationship with God. Taste and see that he is good. You know, food is a ministry, Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Why? Because he was eating and drinking with people on a regular basis. That, that we have an opportunity in, in, our, in our kitchens, in, in our dining rooms, to express Christ. On the road to Emmaus, when was it that those two disciples recognized who it was that they were speaking with? It's when the bread was broken. Is the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> the verses we're going to look at later come right out and say it, but, but Jesus identifies himself, his, his body, his, his kingdom, with food. This loaf of bread, it's my body. It's broken for you. When you eat of it, remember me. 
This cup of wine, it's my blood shed for you. It's a new covenant, an agreement between God and you of your redemption. And when you have these things, remember me and then I'm coming back. The passage I want to look at today is actually found in John chapter 6. Um, it, it's The thing I kind of want to look at today is not so much about this idea of gluttony and just how bad it is and how we need to not do it in our life. I think, I think, I think we could probably all agree that, that the way we eat needs to be appropriate and needs to honor God. But the fact of the matter is, um, well, we still probably struggle with the way in which food controls us. And, and I want to suggest that the way forward is not necessarily considering or thinking about how it is that we are impacted by food and our temptation to, to eat, whatever it may be. But instead, what's supposed to be there? In, in John chapter 6, verse 25, um, Jesus, now see, Jesus, right before this, right prior to this, in the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus was out with his disciples, and, and he was teaching beside the, the, the big lake there. And, and there, was a, there, was a, there was a crowd. It says 5,000 people, probably closer to ten. Probably closer to 15, really, 15,000 people. It was 5,000 men. Women and children didn't really get counted back then. So it's a lot of people. And what was so amazing about this time wasn't just the fact that Jesus was teaching, but that all these hungry people were just like, they were hungry. And the disciples were just like, Jesus, what are we going to do with all these hungry people? And Jesus is like, well, do you got any food? And they're like, well, not enough. We'll find what you got. And so they bring him some food, some loaves and some fishes, and he starts breaking it up. And God miraculously feeds all of those people. An amazing thing. Well, while everyone's eating and, and, and kind of, you know, like enjoying their picnic, Jesus goes off across the lake, and, and, and everyone is just, well, where did Jesus go? And they go out searching for him, and they, and they meet him up on the other side of the lake. And this is where they, they, we pick up with the story. and says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. It, it, it's amazing to me, you know, that story of the Exodus. They've got food falling from the sky every day. There's a pillar of fire and smoke that they're led by. Water comes out of rocks. And, and, and they're just like, you know what? It was more comfortable when we were slaves in Egypt. It's so easy to, 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 to think about what we have and forget how we got it. Truly I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. You got to remember the people uh, of Israel who were oppressed by the Roman state. They're waiting for their Davidic Messiah who's going to come and lead the charge against their Roman oppressors. Raise up an army, Jesus. You could feed them, no problem. They want to make Jesus king. King of a kingdom, though, that is so short-sighted in comparison to the kingdom that God wants to make. You're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Then he says this, and this is the verse that I, that, I, that I want us to take with us from here today. It says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God has, the Father has set his seal. What is the basis of your relationship with God? 
Do you relate to God because of what he has given you or what he will give you? Or do you relate to God because of just who he is? Do you seek him because of of what he has done for you or, you know, how he has provided for you? They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. The right question. They asked the right question. Okay, what do we need to do to be doing the works of God? Wrong motivation. You could do a sign, maybe make some more food. The work of God, I love what Jesus says, the work of God has everything to do with understanding who he is. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. If I know who God is, will I worry about where my next meal comes from? If I know who God is, will I worry about what kind of shelter my family will have? If I know who God is, do I have to worry about? Insert your worry there. And the interesting thing about the work of God is that, and I think we could preach messages on this, this idea of faith is not so much about what I know of God, it's about how I act because of what I know of God. Look, Esau was so afraid that he was going to die, he was willing to give up his eternal birthright. Because, well, it seems like he really didn't know and understand who God was. If you evaluate your life and look at the way in which you live it, What does it say about how you understand God? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure we all know the very, you know, the tight little Sunday school answers. But do those answers manifest themselves in the way that you live your life and the choices you make on a day-to-day basis? (laughs) What's the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. You know how much I I could eat, if I needed to eat just bread, I don't know, I like sandwiches, okay, toast, jam, peanut butter, delicious. Okay, one loaf of bread a day I could probably survive on. That's about $3. So the Lord's Prayer is essentially saying, God, give me $3 a day. Is that a prayer you really want to pray? But if we know who God is, we know that he will provide everything that we absolutely need especially to accomplish the things that he's called us to do. What about the sign? Is the sign sufficient? Jesus just provided all this food for all those people, and they wanted more. The Israelites, they saw God work in miraculous ways on a daily basis, and they wanted more. Remember the the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? And, and, and Abraham tells them, even if someone goes back from the dead, they won't believe. Is a sign enough? And I want to tell you something, it's not. Look, we, I don't know about you, but Jesus has done amazing things in my life. I've seen God do miraculous things. 
And you know how fast I forget them? But I never forget how good he is. That, that, that tasting and seeing, I can't forget what it tastes like to be in the presence of the Lord. Jesus asked his disciples, are you going to leave me too? After he talks about being bread and, and eating his body and drinking his blood. And, and Peter's reply is one that, that, I, that I, I really resonates with me. Where else am I going to go? You're the one with words of life. Is your relationship with Jesus defined by this reality that there's just nothing that compares? Well, Jesus goes on, he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. I kind of want to give the, the, those people there that day the benefit of the doubt and, and, and say that, that they're asking for this thing that God the Father is going to give them, this, this thing that is going to satisfy them, this food that will leave them wanting for nothing else. But I kind of wonder if they're not still thinking with their stomachs. There is within us, though, a deep desire to be satisfied. And we talk about these seven deadly sins because the reality is the expression of that, 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 the, that desire, that satisfaction, when it's done inappropriately, it results in sin. It, whether it's lust or envy, anger, sloth, uh, uh, gluttony, pride. There is a deep desire of our hearts that can only be satisfied by God. I love the way Blaise Pascal, a French mathematician from the, what, the 15th, 16th century, there's a God-shaped hole in your heart. Only God can fill that hole. And yet, how much of our life do we spend trying to fill it with the things around us? Good things, but insufficient things. I imagine that, that some of these people were hearing Jesus talk about that the Father sends bread from heaven. They're still probably thinking about the exodus and, and they're going, aha, Jesus, just kind of watching and waiting to see what will fall. And do you know so much of what Jesus can do in your life and you're waiting to see these miraculous signs but you miss out on the presence of God because of it? That Jesus could be standing right beside you saying that I'm gonna transform your life and you're looking around trying to say, where, Jesus? And the transformation is standing right beside you. And here we have the first of the I am statements in John. Those statements that, that drove the Pharisees and the scribes crazy because Jesus is identifying himself as God. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Look, this verse in verse 35 is not a promise of it's not a promise of, of a lack of suffering. And when I think about being hungry and when I think about being thirsty, there's a, there's a suffering that's going on there. And I don't think what Jesus is saying is that you will never be without suffering. But what he is saying is that I will be your satisfaction. If you come to me, hunger and thirst won't matter the same way. That, 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 that derision and, and, and being mocked and being beaten and being hurt and having those same things occur to your family, your friends. 
It won't matter the same way because I will satisfy you. Jesus tells us, and if they do these things to you, don't worry, they did these things to me first. One of the things I think that's so broken in the church is that we know, but we don't act. We know, but we don't act. We understand, and we, we know the Bible, we've read it a bunch, but we don't act it out. That's not faith. Faith is action on knowledge, not knowledge alone, not belief. Do you believe that Jesus will sustain you through everything? Do you believe that, that, um, that he's enough? And, and, it's, and it's an easy thing to believe when your, your pantry is full. It's an easy thing to believe when the creditors aren't calling. It's an easy thing to believe when your car is working fine and your house doesn't have a broken foundation and the shingles still function. It's an easy thing to believe when all your friends are around you. It's an easy thing to believe when everything's going right in your life, but, but what about when it's not? Will Jesus get you through those times as well? This idea of, of Jesus sustaining us um, just knowing about Jesus isn't enough. It, it requires something out of us. Now, I'm not saying that we have to do something for the grace that we have received. It's not what I'm saying, but, but there is something about faith that, that if it has no works, it's not there. And, and, and this is kind of what I'm getting at when I say that, that we can understand and know things about God, but unless we act them out, we don't have faith. And it's actually in faith that we are sustained, and I want to kind of like put, uh, uh, like make a little insertion here. And, and if you've got your Bibles and you're following through chapter six, switch over to chapter four. See, there's this story here that I've always kind of looked at and, and, and oftentimes it gets preached on. You know, the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus comes and has this great little exchange with her and, and gives her prophetic words about, about who he is and who she is and, and the amazing things that comes out of this interaction and a whole town is, is, is converted to, to being followers of Jesus. But through all of this, there's like there's this little aside, this little, this little footnote of Jesus teaching to his disciples. You see, the original kind of interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman was one-on-one -on -one because his disciples had kind of trucked off and they, they, they were getting food. And so they come back, and, and we, we pick up here where they come back in, in chapter 4, verses 31 to 38, and, and they say, Rabbi, eat. We brought you food, Jesus. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, why did he send us out? Like, what, what's this guy's deal? Did someone else bring him something to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. See, because just knowing who Jesus is, just knowing that God the Father wants us to be his children, this is an amazing thing, and experiencing is something that is unforgettable. But unless we act in faith, unless we do his will, we won't be sustained by that. Sustenance through obedience, obedience through intimacy, intimacy by intentionality. We have to meet with God. 
And in meeting with him, having relations with him as he moves in our heart, we need to be obedient. And as we are obedient, we will be sustained. See, but gluttony tells us, okay, that part of us, that fear in us, well, you're, you're not going to be sustained. You need to fill up now. Get as much as you can. Eat until, you know what, you're not as worried about doing anything. Eat until it, it only controls what you want to do next. Spend so much time creating the perfect thing that, that you have no time for anything else. He goes on in verse 35. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes a harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. It's so interesting. I, I just realized, working on this message, I've always looked at that verse. It's a familiar verse. We've heard it. We've talked about it many times in church. I've always thought about it as this illustration as to the readiness of, of evangelism and discipleship. Look up, the fields are white. The, the, the yield, the harvest, it's basically falling off. If you don't go and do something now, it's going to be lost. And there's an immediacy in that sense. But, but working on this message, and, and I feel like God kind of showed me something interesting. You harvest food. You harvest food and you do so at harvest, especially in Canada, to get through the winter. There's something more here to this verse about what it is that God wants to do in our life. That, that look, there are seasons. And if you miss out on the harvest, you're going to starve in the winter. And so when you're in that place crying out to God, is it possible that you've missed an opportunity and God's trying to show you something? The other kind of interesting thing about talking about harvest and, and you know, if, if I'm full, if I've got everything that I need, how hard am I going to work through the harvest? Am I going to be like, well, there's this other section of field. It's getting pretty late. I know I had a lot to eat today. I think I'll leave it for tomorrow. Or if I'm waiting, if I'm starving, if I'm hungry and I see this extra bit, I'm, I'm going to go after it. I'm not going to stop because, because I'm, I'm, I'm motivated to make sure that I have enough. And, and, and if we're just talking about physical food, that might get us into trouble, but, but we're not talking about just physical food. We're talking about spiritual things. And, and more than just spiritual things about my own sustenance of how to walk through, we're, we're talking about a harvest of, of people. So we pick up back in chapter 6, verse 39. It says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that was given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What does it look like to live knowing that it is the will of the Father to have everyone given to Jesus resurrected on that day? And that, that there are people in Montreal, there are people in DDO, in Laval, in the South Shore, Lachine, LaSalle, the West Island, wherever it is, there are people around you who God wants to see on that last day. And that actually God has provided them there for you that you might be sustained. That as you interact with them and, 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 and show them what you have found in God, that God sustains you to do more. 
this is something that, I don't know, maybe some of you are aware of this, maybe some of you are not. I'm also trying to work on this, this, this church on the South Shore and, and trying to plant a church and, and just see what God wants to do to, to build his kingdom there. And I'm struck sometimes with my lack of faith. Let me confess this to you. I'm struck sometimes with my lack of faith, and the reality is my lack of faith stems from this idea that I forget who God is. I forget to remember that, that God doesn't need me to plant a church. God doesn't need me to make disciples. But I get to, and when I do, it's going to, it's going to fill me. It's going to give me purpose. I'm going to be a part of what it is that God's doing. I forget that Jesus is victorious and able. I forget that I don't have to do it. I forget that, that, that it's not about me. And, and I'm a pastor, a reverend even. Grandiose things is planting a church. Look, that's nothing. Because God has a plan for you, just as he has a plan for me, and he's provided all these opportunities around you to sustain you. And it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're young or not, that God has placed you exactly where you are for the specific reason because there is a harvest and it's going to feed you. But what's holding you back from that? So what? So what about gluttony? Well, I want to tell you this thing. Food is the appetizer, not the main dish. Food is the appetizer, not the main dish. Intentional preparation is the best recipe. If you want to be sustained by God, then you got to spend the time working with those ingredients, working in his word and with his people. And that as you do that, as we come together and love one another, speaking life into each other, people will know that we follow Jesus. And they will say, what is it about what is sustaining you guys? I want some of that. One of the things that has impressed me so much in my time living in the South Shore with this new focus of trying to start a church is how hungry people are. How hungry they are for the very thing that resides within you. And lastly, God's plans... He plans to have as many as possible at the first supper. Until Jesus comes, we celebrate the last supper. And I want to suggest to you that the first supper is a supper that we have for the rest of eternity with God and Jesus Christ. And he wants as many people as possible to be at that supper. And you've got a list of invitations in your hands. Are you handing them out? Or are you so enamored of making sure that you are taken care of, that you are full, that you are satisfied, that you can't be bothered? The thing about gluttony is not just that it's bad for our physical health. It is. But that there's something about our spiritual health that is wrapped up in it as well. The thing I want to leave you with is, um, uh, so I love football. Okay, and, and in preparation for a football game <clears throat> so that I would be particularly aggressive <laughs> and uh, particularly effective in running down the ball and tackling people and, and shrugging off defenders, I wouldn't eat before a game because there's something about playing hungry that, um, 
that has an impact on my ability. And it's kind of an odd illustration, but I want to challenge you to think, what does it look like for you to follow Jesus hungry? Not starved, but hungry. Knowing that there's something worth fighting for, knowing that there's something worth going after, and to go after it unsatisfied. To say, God, I want to see more of you. I want to experience more of you. But when you say that, can I give you a caution? That if you're unwilling to do what he asks you, the next time you ask him, he won't. Sustenance comes through obedience. Obedience through intimacy. Intimacy by intentionality. Let's live intentionally together. Let's obey the will of our Father and and let him sustain us through it and see what he does in his people. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for, I thank you for being so satisfying that when I'm with you, there's nothing more that I want. Lord, help me to show others. Help me to feed others. As you challenged Peter, help me to feed your sheep and to bring more into the flock. Because all these, God, it, it glorifies you. Let there be more voices that praise your name and that meet with us at that first supper. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen.